Welcome to Equity, a podcast brought to you by the Minority Educator Recruitment, Retention, and Equity Center, located at Virginia Commonwealth University. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to episode five of the Equity Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Dr. Faith Wilkerson, and I am so excited today to be here with uh, Jerron Scott. Did I say that right? Make sure, you know, just make sure. Jerron Scott, who is um, one of our one of our wonderful academic advisors within VCU's biology department. Jerron, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, Jerron, I have to kick things off by asking the question that I ask all of my guests, which is um, tell us what equity means to you. To me, equity means looking at those who have the least and, th- and those who have the most and seeing what those differences are and see if we can help lift those who have the least up to where the most are. And just making sure that if they have everything that they need in order to be successful in life, regardless of what field it's in. Amazing. Thank you for that. And so, you know, I want to start off by, you know, the the big highlight, I guess, you got the award in November. Is, is that correct? I'm going to say, look, yeah. my dates are all jumbled up now, right? But um, so we ended up coming across an article about you winning recently the College of Humanities and Sciences Leadership in Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity Award. And so first of all, round of applause for that. Congratulations. <laughs> so talk a little bit about that award. Like I said, myself and Dr. Scott were really interested in you as an individual and how you've been contributing to humanities and sciences in order to, you know, even be nominated for something like this? Yeah, so uh, it's the first time they've ever done that award. So that was just special in itself. And, you know, being in the entry level position, being academic advisor, sometimes we're kind of overlooked at the work that we do. And just to get that award itself to be recognized by the college was, was an awesome, awesome experience. And I think it just really goes back to like the two key influences in my life were my grandmother and my uncle. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother just raised me always to be kind, always every time I would talk to her before she passed was just to be kind to people, right? Mm-hmm. You, there's no need for you to be mean to anyone. Mm-hmm. Just always be kind, look at other people. And my uncle, pretty much the same lessons, like always look out for others, always strive to be a leader. So just taking that that combined being kind and wanting to be a leader, I just looked for opportunities to where I can I could highlight some equity work, I can do some diversity work and just help make people better at it, right? And just include everybody in. One of the things how I got started was just looking at biases and that kind of just has driven like my whole mindset around this work is looking at how do we view people unconsciously, right? Mm-hmm. And how, unconsciously as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we view those folks and what can we do to combat that? You know, being an African-American male, I know there are people who look at me, even today I was getting my uh, my battery, my car battery mm-hmm. changed and people were looking at me like, what am I doing here at this dealership, right? <laughs> and it's just like, I have every right to be here as yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and, just, and just making sure that when type of things like those happen, we recognize the fact that we're being biased, that we're doing something wrong in our heads and try to just correct that. And that's just really driven my work in this field is like, we all, we all make mistakes. We all have things to learn. So I'm going to help be that, be that teacher, be that learner. Yeah. And so with that, you early on, because I always love when people talk about their heroes, especially when there's someone as close as a grandmother or uncle, um, because villages are always something that's super important. And so talk about, you know, your beginnings, like how how did the Jerron Scott now magically become this academic advisor? Um, Because you're not from Richmond, correct? 
Correct. I am from uh, Providence, Rhode Island. So oh, wow. my journey to Richmond has been very interesting. <laughs> I lived in Providence. I graduated from high school there. Then I moved to Georgia for school where mm. I did my uh, undergrad and master's at University of West Georgia. Wow. Then I moved to Missouri uh, for, for to work at Lincoln University of Missouri there. Then I moved to North Carolina to work at a nonprofit. Then I came up to <laughs> Richmond in 2017 and been here in since, and now I'm in the uh, PhD program, so I'll be here a little bit longer as well. So I have a very interesting yeah. journey to here, but when I was nine years old, I actually got into a really bad accident. I became an amputee. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that made me a little more conscious of my place in this world and mm-hmm. how I'm viewed. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I've I've be, I've been able to look at other people and say, you know what, they are more than just what they present. They're mm-hmm. more than just, you know, this one thing about them. Like I had to prove to people and show to people, hey, I'm more than just an amputee, right? Mm-hmm. I am worthy of doing other things. I am worthy of still being looked at as as a person. Because sometimes, especially when you're younger, when things like that happen to you, kind of people kind of pity you and kind of like, oh, right. it's okay. And it's like, no, I just want to be treated fairly right mm-hmm. i want to be treated equitably and that also that's another thing that's driven my work is just those experiences growing yeah. up and having to go into physical therapy having to learn how to work again going to walk walk again going to therapy all those different things had just really influenced my decision to get into this work and so with that you said something that i think was super powerful a phrase the the phrase of i am worthy I imagine being an academic advisor that not that it's your role is completely clear cut, right? Because I'm sure you have students who are coming into your office and venting about way more than what class may be available for them in the spring semester. So how are you giving them the tools to almost become an advocate for themselves? I think the first thing you do is just brief life to them, let them know that they can accomplish anything as long as they set a plan and put their mind to it. And I think that's the key part of being an academic advisor more so than just saying, hey, look at these classes, look at these scholarships. It's let's give you the uh, the toolkit to do well. And I think it starts with just telling them you are worthy of being here, right? You mm-hmm. got into VCU, so you're mm-hmm. worthy of graduating from this program, mm-hmm. right? But here are the resources, whether it's imposter syndrome, whether it's self-doubt, you know, we all experience we all experience those things, and those things are going to be here whether you have the degree or not. So you mm-hmm. might as well have those things with mm-hmm. the degree. Mm-hmm. And with that, you know, here's the the tutoring, here's the academic coaching, here's the UMSA office, here's all these resources mm-hmm. that you need. So just really giving them giving them that that mental and physical toolbox that they know that they can accomplish anything, and if they need help, there's a resource for that. And how do those conversations change or pivot, I should say, when you're talking to our our VC students of color? Um, it's it's definitely got to be a little more harsh, uh, mm. in a, not a negative way, yeah. but a more like frank, like this is yeah. this is the more matter of fact way. Um, if you just look at the retention rates in the biology department, I pull the data every year, mm-hmm. and our African American men are not doing well. African American mm-hmm. women are doing really well, mm-hmm. and part of the thing is where is the gap between African American men and African American women? Where where is that gap? Is it a K twelve gap? Is mm-hmm. it a gap here? Once they get here, is that is that that feeling of loneliness that college students mm-hmm. experience? What is the, what is that gap? And just having those conversations with both uh, men and women of color is like, hey these are the statistics, right? This is this is what odds are gonna say that you're gonna go through. Here's how here's how to beat that. And here's, you know, here are the resources specifically for you. Here's how you speak to a professor. A lot of our students don't know how to do that. And thinking back, you know, being a first generation student, 
I didn't have that skill until someone taught me how to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those things that you have to be extra mindful of when working with students of color is some of those skills that we take for granted and we expect our students to have, they don't have because they don't know they need it. And right. once you once once you give that to them, they're like, oh wow, this makes things so much easier for me. I now know what to do. But with that said, I, I don't think we're doing a good enough job as a whole mm-hmm. to help our students, to give our students that, especially our students of color. Like I said, if you go back to the retention rates and the DFW rates of some of these classes, African American men it's it, are doing really poorly. Mm-hmm. And I think the first year I was here, I pulled the six-year graduation data. I think there was out of 200 African-American men who started one cohort, only 11 or so actually graduated with a biology wow. degree in six years. Yeah. So they're doing really poorly. And it's just, for some odd reason, we're not putting our resources to that, even though the data mm-hmm. says we should. So what I do is specifically when I meet with an African-American male, mm-hmm. I, I make sure that they say, hey, this is a resource, right? Make sure you go to Tutoring for Organic Chemistry day one, because that class builds upon itself. Mm-hmm. Make sure you do all of these things. And I tell that to all my students, but I, I specifically repeat it to African-American men because I want them to be successful. If they want to be a biology major, I want to be able to graduate with a biology degree, not mm-hmm. say, oh, I had to change my major because I didn't have this resource, right? Yeah. Because they're all intelligent to do that. All of mm-hmm. our students are intelligent. Absolutely. They're bright. They work hard because they wouldn't be here mm-hmm. if they weren't. But once they get here, there's this, there's this box they're put in or this wall where we just feel we don't need to give these students these resources. Mm-hmm. Um, one of these things I, I looked at was like, hey, can we start a mentoring program? And that kind of got shot down because they're like, well, there's one on campus already. Yeah. But I'm so it can't do everything for everyone. And that's, and that's, I think the big thing, even with diversity work in general, they expect one group of people to do everything where it's a a team effort, right? Right. It takes everybody doing something to really accomplish this diversity and equity inclusion work. We all have to work together. And I just feel sometimes people just say, you know what, we're just going to give it to one office or Mm -hmm. one group of people is going to do everything for all of us. And if our retention rate goes up by 2% a year, we're accomplishing something, right? Because it's better Mm -hmm. than it's been, Mm -hmm. but you have people willing to do the work to make it even higher than that. Mm -hmm. That makes 1000% sense. And so I even want to talk about how you even began working in the higher ed space. So, you know, I know you told me earlier you are, you were a biology major Uh yourself, and now you're in a PhD program also housed within the School of Ed. So we'll talk about that in a second as well. But how, how did you transition from, what did you, first of all, let's even get into the nitty gritty. What kind of biology did you, if I mean saying this phrase right, what kind of biology work (laughs) did you want to do? So I was initially pre-med. Oh, okay. But okay. I realized quickly after shadowing that this, that, I was like, that's not, that's not for me. I don't, yes. that's, I'm not that life. But growing up, I was really always into reptiles and being ah, okay. I actually have a couple of lizards and a snake now. Oh, okay. Honest. We'll keep those off screen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I just really enjoyed biology. So in the and it wasn't difficult for yeah. me. So I stayed in. I stayed in the major because I had fun. It was I enjoyed doing the work yeah. and. How I got into higher ed is being involved in Greek life, uh, homecoming director at Mm -hmm. SGA. I was Mm -hmm. a a mentor, all these different things. Then uh, one of my mentors, Jarell Anderson, he said, hey, have you ever looked into Mm -hmm. this? And I was like, oh, what is higher ed? I didn't know (laughs) that was a job. Mm -hmm. So um, when I I did, and and I just found a great career, obviously, Mm -hmm. like every field has its ups and downs, but I think 
academic advising for me is something I, I latched on very early on when mm -hmm. I was like, I would love to do that because mm -hmm. you're going to meet a variety of students. You're going to yeah. problem solve. I'm going to put all these critical thinking, think, critical thinking skills to use. I'm going to be able to do a lot of different things and, and touch a lot of different people with mostly positive conversations. Yeah. Obviously we have those negative ones as well, but just being in a position where I can, you know, breathe life and speak positivity to other people is, is, is great. It's awesome. Yeah. And I relate 100% with your life's journey. It's also was mine. I was mass comm undergrad and involved in all of those things. And right. And it just takes that one person to look at you to say, have you ever thought about blank to change your entire like destiny is what I yeah, tell exactly. people a lot. Um, because yeah, I didn't ever expect for me to be doing the work that I am doing. Um, and so now you're in one of our PhD program. So talk a little bit about that and what you hope to kind of, I guess, accomplish once you get done with our program. So uh, first, a uh, shout out to Dr. Wilson. Yes. My mentor <laughs> chair. I'm not exactly what the proper word is for yeah, that. Yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I just finished my first semester in okay. educational leadership policy and justice program. It, it's been a pleasure so, so far Ooh. going into it. Full, full blown imposter syndrome. <laughs> am I good enough? I, I, I don't think I am. Yeah. I, I can't do this. But just going through the program, even though it's been remote for this first semester, mm -hmm. just really this first semester just has instilled so much confidence in me and my self belief that I know I can do this. I know I belong here. And yeah. just even going through the classes, um, they were challenging at times, but they were very straightforward to the point where even doing the work, I was like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this correctly. <laughs> and just getting that first, you know, first bit of feedback. And they're like, okay, look at this. This is what you did. Here's what you can improve on. And great job. I was like, oh my God, I did great. <laughs> like, and yeah. that just, it's just been wonderful. And my hope is I just, I just really want to study biases and mm -hmm. especially around uh, diversity work, especially in higher ed, specifically mm -hmm. the biases that impact our, some of our students from doing well mm -hmm. and what's holding it back. I think a lot of times we kind of shift on what is the student lacking versus what are we not providing? Mm. I think that's, that's a big difference there. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and the work I want to do is, is look at the stuff that we're not providing to our students. Um, what, we ex maybe we expect something from our students that they don't have because mm -hmm. we never thought of that. Mm -hmm. And look at the people in, in the decision-making power, look at the makeup of them and look at the makeup of the students they're making decisions for. There's, there's going to be a big, big disconnect there because I believe there's, if there's no one at the table who looks like the people you're talking about, you can't act, you can't equitably speak about that group, right? Because mm -hmm. there's no one there to vouch for them. You're just going on based off assumptions and past experiences with that group versus having someone from that group say, hey, this is what the actual thing is. So my goal is to just bridge that gap and say, hey, let's look at what we're doing wrong or what, or what we could be doing better rather mm -hmm. if we want to speak positively and things like that. Yeah, I I told you before we started recording that I, I initially before I did the ed leadership program that I tried the policy program, um, but I needed two uh, prereqs of, of statistical courses that I could not get past mm -hmm. to save my life. And I, yeah, I had imposter syndrome for a whole semester because like, what am I going to do? <laughs> what am I going to do? So salute to you <laughs> for being able to overcome because yeah. <laughs> imposter syndrome is 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 so real i remember yeah. my experience in my uh my master's program it was in our group counseling class and a student said to me you know they're uncomfortable with my presence there mm. and i've never had a conversation with this student and yeah. 
it, that kind of just shook me and up to the point where I applied to the PhD program and going in even now a little bit, it's like, yeah. I, I'm still, I still don't belong here mm-hmm. because having that student say, you know, my presence intimidates her, what yeah. she was basically for being honest was saying, you being a black man makes me mm-hmm. uncomfortable because mm-hmm. I dressed up in suits and yeah. all these different things for class. And it's just like, I'm not the, I'm not the biggest guy, yeah. you know, I'm both average height, you know, all these things. So what about my presence intimidated you? Correct. Right. Is it, you know, what's going on? It comes to find out, you know, she was intimidated because I was confident, right? Because mm. I believed in myself mm. and that, that played a big part into me not believing in myself. Mm. Right. So it's cr- just crazy how our interactions can cause yeah. your biggest strengths to become sources of doubts. Absolutely. And that, and that is, and that's also part of the reason why I do this work is, you know, we have people like that who, who meet someone, not have a conversation with them and say, mm-hmm. you know what, I am bothered by that person, right? Mm-hmm. I'm having a visceral reaction to this mm-hmm. person. Like I can't sit next to this student. Mm-hmm. And after the class, my professor had to apologize. I've had her before. And she mm-hmm. was just like, I don't know where that came from. And yeah. everybody was just shocked because everyone who knows me, I'm always helpful, you know, always mm-hmm. doing these other positive things. And that really shook me to my core to the point where it delayed me apply, applying to PhD programs mm-hmm. where some other opportunities are probably missed out on yeah. because because of that. So my, my goal is to make sure no one ever feels that way. So, and, and unfortunately, I think where higher ed's at and where some of our students feel, they do feel that way. Mm-hmm. You know, when we mm-hmm. see our students and we don't interact with them, when we see some professors uh, having a great time talking to some students, then when they, when they black student asks them a question, it's a very different reaction. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, they notice that type of stuff. Yeah. I can, I agree with that for sure. Um, So for people that are listening um to your episode in particular, how can we help you um, not only in the context of, you know, for those that are in the classroom and may encounter some of your students, because that's a a, a really great possibility as well, but also just in general, you know, how can we as um, educators begin to, you know, I guess co-assist you (laughs) in leading our Black males. I mean, we can get really even more specific because that's something that you named as a huge problem that you've been seeing um, with the students that you engage with on a daily basis. How can we help you? What can we begin to do? What languages can we begin to use in order to make them feel like they are worthy? I think first things first is treat them as individuals. We treat you know, we treat our white students as individuals, right? We say, we know, we're going to allow them to have their own unique experiences, but with our minority students, we always assume they're from a specific area. They might be from a city. You know, growing up, I, I didn't really know it a lot. I grew up in a city, so I didn't know a lot of Black people who mm-hmm. lived outside of the city. So when mm-hmm. I moved to Georgia mm. and I had friends <laughs> from very, yeah. very, very <laughs> rural places, yeah. and I was just like, whoa, I didn't know, I didn't know you know, black people who live outside a city or, or mm-hmm. that some, a lot of them do. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's just a bias of mine I had growing up. And so one of those things we can do is just realize every student has their own story. They're an individual person. And I'm going to treat that student like, like they are, regardless of what my past encounters with students from that group has been. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times we, we just lump our students into one thing. We say, Oh, you know, I, I ran into something like this before. You're just like this other student. Mm-hmm. And also even going beyond that is just 
say hello, smile, right? Mm. A lot of times that goes a long way. And when we're working with students, working with people we don't want to work with, our yeah. face, our facial expressions right. give those away. <laughs> yes. Like, mm. Because we've all been in the store and we've seen a cashier who's yes. very disinterested in helping us. Yes. It's the same thing. That is wow. not a skill that professors or many people have mastered, yeah. right? Unless you are like a trained counselor, you'd not have mastered <laughs> yeah. the art of like not showing stuff on your face. Um, so those two things, but even beyond that is just learning about the groups that you want to work with. Mm. I tell you, my students are interested in going to MCV for med school. You're going to be serving a... Um, a highly Richmond and urban population, you yeah. need to learn about that population because if you know, if you're in the middle of rural Virginia and you mm-hmm. think that's going to serve you the same purpose mm-hmm. here in Richmond, it's not. So I think that's the big thing is just learning about the type of students that we have, specifically at VCU, or if you're somewhere else, learning about those type of students, you know, learning what their background is. You know, we have a very diverse student background, right? right? Even mm-hmm. though it may say black, but we have students from you know, a lot of students from East Africa, a lot of students yeah. from the Middle East, a lot of students from Nova, which is very different from Richmond, yes. a lot of students <laughs> from Tidewater area, which is also very different from Richmond. Yeah. So it, you have to constantly keep learning. You want, and you're going to have to want to learn, right? Mm-hmm. Not just, oh, I need to do this for my job, but I actually have the desire to be a better person. So I'm going to learn so much. One of the things I committed myself to doing is just reading books by LGBTQ and, and black women authors only mm. for the rest of the year, That's for the amazing. next year. Um, besides Barack Obama's book, I did have to get that one. But, <laughs> of course. Um, but I just made that commitment because I want to learn about groups I'm not a part of, right? Even though I, it goes into intersectionality. I may be black, but I cannot speak for a black gay man. I cannot yeah. speak for a black woman, right? I don't have their lived experiences, but what I can do is try to read some either fiction and nonfiction books about about their experiences, just so I can have a better understanding. You know, engage my friends in those communities and say, "Hey, you know, can we have a conversation about this?" and and, and talk to people you trust. Obviously, you know, if you want to talk to someone in the LGBT community just don't go talk to a random person on the street, yeah. right? Talk to someone that you trust and that who, if you're wrong, doesn't mind correcting you and still is not going to judge you for being wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's key is just, you know, say, Hey, I'm not going to read JK Rowling, Harry Potter for the, you know, every <laughs> year, like I normally do. Yeah. I'm going to go read um, a nonfiction by a black woman. Right. Cause they, they write nonfiction as well or fiction yeah. by non-black woman, by a black woman. So what out of those books you've read so far, then what would you what's the re- what's the number one recommendation? Oh, it it's is, okay. You have time to run and go get it. Look, <laughs> I have a bookshelf behind. I know. Me. You can, me. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. All right. Yeah, because I think that's important. <laughs> so, everyone, he is running to go get the book of choice. I think that's super important. I think reading is one of those things that we take for granted. Reading leisurely, right? A lot of us in academia tend to, you know, not always have the time to do so because we're always writing or reading other people's works versus, you know, whether it's our students or other folks in our doc programs. And so sometimes the leisurely read is not always (laughs) something we can do. So what do you got? All right. Um, the first book I read was Pleasure Activism by Adrian Marie Brown. Okay. And that book is outstanding. And she just talks about doing things that make you happy and that pleases you, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to activism, activism and, and diversity, inclusion work and equity work. And if it doesn't make you happy, don't do it. Absolutely right? and, not. <laughs> and, that's, and that's one of those things I think we have a hard time learning because it's like, well, I need to commit to this because I'm good at it. Yeah. But it does. if it doesn't make you happy, don't do it. And another one was uh, 
Love and Rage by Lamarada Owens. And that mm. was just a really cool book about it's okay to be upset, right? You can okay. still you can still do work while being upset. You can channel that anger into positivity. So those are the my two most recent books. Okay. The books I had at the top of my bookshelf. Um, they're, and they're just both, I would recommend those to anyone. I think just, especially the pleasure active activism yeah. book, it just puts so much how I felt mm-hmm. and into words, you know, it's like, sometimes I don't feel like doing this work. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you need to take rest, right. You need mm-hmm. to do what makes you happy. You need to, and you're allowed to express yourself, right. You're allowed to say, no, you're allowed, mm-hmm. you're allowed to basically, you're just allowed to do what makes you happy. Yeah. Right. I think that's the best summary of that and you know no matter what no one's anyone says to you you know if it makes you happy as long as you're not hurting others right it's okay right well that's awesome thank you so much for sharing because i definitely wrote those down for my own uh personal reads as well um so thank you and thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today um i want to definitely extend the olive branch to you to let you know the center is here um in any way that we can possibly assist you as one of our students within the school of ed now yay or within your role in biology i mean you know as you said it doesn't always have to fall on one office to do all the work And there's always a way to share um, resources and time and just to make sure all of our students feel like they belong and are worthy. So I appreciate all the work that you're doing and that you will do because I I can hear the passion and I know that you are (laughs) destined to do a lot of great things and hopefully they'll be within VCU. But I'm sure with um, wherever you might go next, considering how many times you've moved, which is a good a good trait, by the way, it's a good trait because you see a lot of things in life. So I thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Anytime, uh, I'd love to join again if you need me. Thank you all so much for tuning in to episode five of Equity, the podcast. That is going to wrap us up for 2020. I know I can't believe we have cleared an entire year already, but even among all of the craziness, we have had the opportunity to have some beautiful conversations with some amazing people doing great work in the field of education. So to the collective, to Dr. Jonte Taylor, Dr. William Hunter, Dr. Danielle Apugo, and Jerron Scott, we say thank you. Thank you for all the work that you are doing and all the work you will continue to do to make sure our students not only feel supported, but feel understood. And in the words of our recent guests, feel like they are worthy. On behalf of myself and everyone in the Minority Education Center, we want to wish you all a very, very, very happy holidays and even better new year and gently remind you guys in case you haven't heard it enough to wear your mask. (laughs) Happy new year, everyone. See you in 2021.